gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you got all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at DCTF. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one... The only, the dashing, Jay Arnold. Yeah, Mike, and uh, I, I have decided to to change my look to be a little bit more employable. Uh, I've got the uh, the new haircut and and the beard trim. For those of you that are watching on the YouTube, you'll notice it. Uh, but you know, the higher Jay full court press is on now. It is uh, it is officially in motion. It's going to be harder to get money on the corners of, of those streets in Houston with that look, but you know, easier to get a real job. So that'll be that'll be a nice transition for our for our Jay Arnold here. Uh, maybe you can get the AM job. We'll talk yeah. about that uh, here in a little bit. Before we get going, uh, please rate, subscribe, uh, five star, tell a friend, all that stuff uh, you do to help the podcast grow. We had a the last week's show was our most listened to show, obviously after the Jimbo Fisher news. Uh, we didn't really enjoy it. It's never fun. We're not celebrating people being fired, uh, but we do enjoy that all y'all are listening and, and we're glad to have you back if you're listening again uh, today. Our uh, sponsor, homefieldapparel.com. Great time to do it. Holidays, Black Friday stuff. They got a ton of deals. Christmas coming up. Uh, get your favorite Aggie fan, a, a, a 12th man shirt, a Reveille shirt. There's plenty of stuff there. I got a Sarge shirt. Uh, go there. If you have not ever ordered from there, if you use the promo code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, you get 15% off your first purchase. We split this up into four downs, uh, kind of like football drive. First down, we will talk about the 38-10 to 10 win over Abilene Christian. Second down, we'll get into coaching updates. Obviously, that's kind of the big topic in College Station right now. Uh, third down, we'll talk about the LSU game, a, a big rivalry game coming up to finish this interesting 2023 campaign and then a fourth down we'll get a little off topic talk to jay ask jay we got some great questions uh from twitter over the last couple days so that'll be the show jay let's get into it real quick first down texas a&m 38 abilene christian 10 we won't spend a ton of time on this i know what you want to talk about what i wanted to point out the attendance announced was 94,794 and even if that is purchase tickets and not every single person of that went there was still a lot of people in Kyle Field against an FCS team in a year that obviously hasn't gone the way that they wanted after just firing a coach I wanted to say bravo Ags that's that's good bull that's cool stuff and that's why A&M is going to be a destination job for for all the people applying for it right now yeah and an 11 a.m kick I mean everything that could have been working against it is is working against it in this case and uh obviously not the best start uh but there were some fun things about this game maroon pants maroon pants are back maroon pants that is like that's the best look by the way that should be the home just normal look in my opinion the full maroon i think looked great uh i didn't i didn't like it as much like when we had it with the uh i mean the the 
the jerseys that we wore in 2013 or whatever with the stripes, uh, I don't think it looked as clean as the jerseys they currently have with the all maroon. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you. I think the all maroon looked fantastic out there. Uh, speaking of uniform things, uh, Moose Muhammad got to wear sleeves and Man. he put on a heck of a performance, huh? There is a testament to having fun. And we will talk about this a little bit later when we get into the coaching search thing. But the Gary Patterson to Sonny Dyke switch and what happened at TCU will forever change the way I look at some of these coaching changes. That was basically the same roster. Sonny Dykes didn't Deion Sanders that thing. He walked in there and took what was mostly a Gary Patterson roster, let them out of prison, let them go have fun, let them enjoy life as a college football player, and they went from 5-7 and seven to 12-0 and 0 and then to a Fiesta Bowl and beat Michigan. And it was just vibes. Like, it was just letting dudes be dudes and have a good time. Uh, I love not only do I love that they went alternate for the first time since 2018, I, I think that was great. Uh, but hats off to Moose Muhammad, Elijah Robinson, and everybody else that that I to to let him do the sleeves on the first game out, like after Jimbo Fisher was a complete kind of like middle finger. And I think it shows how bad the feelings and just the atmosphere was around. Nobody was having a good time anymore, and it's hard to win football games when you're not having a good time. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, right, this is still a game. I mean, I realize that, you know, there's millions of dollars on the line and then people have jobs around it and, and it's a crazy business now, but but football is still a game. And I think you tend to be more successful when you have fun with it. Uh, I know people like to quote Remember the Titans, and I have a Remember the Titans poster behind me, right, where uh, uh, I think uh, Coach Boone is talking to Petey and he, he's saying, you think football is fun? And, uh, you know, he's getting stumbled up on it, but football should be fun. Uh, we all do. We all do better at things in life when we're having a good time. And, and, and that is again, like you said, anything in life, it's from when you're a child up through like the best teachers are always the ones that you had that make the lessons entertaining. The best bosses are, are, are guys that want to have fun with you in the trenches, uh, it's just when you have fun, you're you're more likely to give a better effort, and I think that's the uh, that's definitely the case. Obviously, you got to have some fear in there to motivate you too, but uh, the fun is always, uh, in my opinion, a little more beneficial. Yeah, go play golf when you're pissed off. You're not going to hit the ball as well, you know. Like there's just there's something about being free, um, you know, basketball, all that kind of stuff. Like I, I just think writing is easier to do when you're in a good mood than when you're when you're in a bad mood, right? Like I just think. There's something about enjoying yourself. I mean, it's not all roses and fun, right? Kumbaya, it's football. Like, you know, like you still hitting people and you're going to get yelled at and that kind of stuff. Uh, but just to to go to war over sleeves and alternate uniforms, you know, I think it's just system. I think it's just a symptom of, of the pro. Like, it's just an example of a yeah. hundred examples of having too much control, becoming too authoritarian with it and maybe dying on hills that you shouldn't die on. There's definitely a balance uh, right. between you know, the business-like approach and and having fun that you, you get it down the middle and all of a sudden things start going really well for you. And it's a new generation of kids, man. And that's okay. Like it's okay. Um, so anyway, we'll get off that. I, the coolest part of the game to me against Abilene Christian was the 12th man kickoff team, right? Kind of talk to you. You know more about this than I do. You kind of talk to the listeners about what happened there and, and why that was such a special thing. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know the exact year, but it's been a long time since they did uh, the 12th man kickoff team. And, you know, my thing, too, is like I was a scholarship athlete, but 
one of our favorite things uh, as as athletes in, in that locker room was getting to see the walk-ons rewarded uh, because they're putting in all the work that we are and, and they're not getting their school paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're and getting it, their ass beat. They're getting their ass beat. Like you're basically a tackling dummy at that stage. Uh, and a lot of the scout team guys, you know, there's some that are scholarship athletes, but for the most part, it's walk-ons and, and it's a thankless job uh, for the most part. So Getting to see that moment was was really cool, and obviously the history of the twelfth man, you know, at A and M in particular, it's it's such a big thing, and uh, you know, it used to be like the twelfth man kickoff team was a kickoff team, special teams made up completely of walk ons, and again, like I, I I would have to look it up to find out what year the last year they did it was, uh, but it's been a while, and to see that come back in a game against Abilene Christian. And then the reaction from the crowd, what happened during the play, mm. uh, the celebration afterwards. I mean, everything about that was just an incredible moment. It's on the anniversary of Bonfire. Uh, I mean, there were so many things that lined up that just made that such a special, special play. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a, it's a testament to Erob and, and how he feels about this, uh, this university. Uh, it's one of the things that I've I've felt like I uh, really appreciate about Elijah Robinson is he gets A and M. I think part of that too is I mean he comes from another cult in Penn State, right? Like okay. we're very very culty with our with our traditions and whatnot. But uh, man, it was just it was awesome to see, and uh, I was I mean like I, I audibly popped uh, watching the game on my phone at a, at the TCU tailgate. I'm like, oh, I can't believe we just did this, and it was, uh, it was a great moment. Uh, I think people are going to be talking about it for a long, long time. Yeah, they were also honoring Jackie Sherrill um, at that game, and he obviously was famous for having having the whole you know unit out there on the kickoff be, be walk ons, and so yeah, really cool moment. Uh, the fact that there was a fumble and a recovery, I mean, it felt like a Rudy situation, right? Like like a movie type thing. Uh, again, yeah, and that's another great point. Shout out to Elijah Robinson. That's not easy. Like, it's not easy being thrust into the interim head coach role. You become like brother, uncle, dad, head coach, position coach, recruiting guy. Like you, you're wearing a lot of hats all of a sudden where you used to not have to um, doing a lot of stuff that, um, you know, should be somebody else's job. Right. Um, that's on me. And so uh, it's coaching season guys. It's coaching season. It's tough. It's tough life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, the way that they handled that, the start wasn't great, uh, but they won the football game. Uh, Ruben Owens had 106 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Henderson's got a little juice, man. Uh, 16 of 23, 260 yards, two touchdowns, interception. Uh, offensive line, obviously a struggle. Like That's just not going to get fixed until you can get a new uh, position coach and, and some new players in there and kind of figure that out. But they did what they were supposed to do. They avoided some kind of weird, embarrassing thing. They seemed to have a lot of fun with the sleeves and the jerseys and the 12th man crew. Still over 90-something thousand people in Kyle Field. So um, I think when a coaching search can happen, it can kind of sky is falling situation about a program. But this isn't a program that's like needing to start at the bottom and work their way all the way back to the top. Like it does feel like one that if the right guy can come in there that understands AM, understands those traditions, understands that culture, can get that roster to stick around for the most part, because some guys are going to leave, but to get that roster to stick around. Uh, for the most part, this is a ready-made turnkey type of job for 2024, more so than most jobs are uh, when you pay $76 million for somebody to go around. You know, like somebody's going to inherit a, a pretty 
good situation here. Yeah. And like you said, like there's definitely going to be some roster turnover. Uh, there was going to be roster turnover, even if, you know, Jimbo didn't get fired, right? Maybe like, more. That's just the, uh, the nature of the beast. And, and uh, again, I, I, I think that's going to be a big part of whoever they bring in is somebody that will have the ability to keep this roster together. Uh, but there, man, there's, there's so much talent and, and, it, uh, like you said, I mean, that's part of what makes this job so appealing. I think if you're uh, a guy that's looking to move up, uh, either from a coordinator position to a head coach, or if you're a head coach looking to shift to a different job, uh, it's got to be a super appealing job when you look at the amount of talent that you have on campus already. And then, like you said, the fan support, right? Fan, like fan uh, support, the, the- recruiting resources, NIL, a loaded roster. Like, I mean, yeah, it's there. It's there for the like most new jobs stink. That's why the coach got fired because you got to rebuild the whole damn thing. This one doesn't need to be rebuilt. This one just needs to be polished um, and understood, you know, and, and I think Dave Wilson at ESPN wrote a great article about all the ways that Jimbo kind of just miscalculated A&M, the state of Texas and what this job requires. It's not just being a head football coach is not just about football. And a lot of ways being a head coach in modern college football is everything but football. Um, yeah. And he looked at it as just an X's and O's job. And that's not what it is. And uh, so anyway, uh, let's move to second down to the coaching updates. That's kind of the the main topic, right? You know, the Abilene Christian game was kind of a backdrop for people probably hanging out, talking about who they want the next coach to be. It seems like the top three or the most talked about three right now are Mike Elko, Jeff Trailer, Lance Leipold. Are you comfortable if one of those three becomes the next A&M coach? I am. And I know there's a lot of Aggies out there that that in particular have talked about the trailer hire as something that they wouldn't like, uh, which I think we talked about it last week. I don't really understand the reticence. Uh, you know, somebody has has drawn the comparison to uh chad morris and and what he did at smu and then going to arkansas but chad morris you know had a seven and five season that was his best season at smu uh jeff trailer seven five is his worst season at, at utsa yeah that was covid uh, year first year getting that roster and that's a complete like i i've washed away covid year for just about every coach i think that, that that's an anomaly uh you know, you, you go back to averages after the COVID year, and, and I think you get a much better picture of, of what coaches are. Uh, but I, I'm a huge Jeff Trailer fan, and, and he was also a great recruiter when he was at Texas. Like, it's not – I mean, East Texas for forever, which I think is really the hotbed uh, for A&M. Uh, in a lot of ways, the support and, and things come from East Texas. Obviously, you have tons in, in the major cities too, but East Texas is really a hotbed for A&M. And then it's – it just seems like such a perfect cultural fit, right? For for Jeff Trailer to come in, and I get like he hasn't been a head coach at a Power Five conference, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're winning at every level that you've been at, there's no reason to think that you won't win uh, at, at the at the next level. And and Jeff Trailer has won at every level. With Mike Elko, I think you have somebody who's already been at AM as a defense coordinator. There's a lot of comfort there, right? Uh, I feel like the turnover wouldn't be as big if, if Elko comes in. I think he's a great option for for keeping that roster together. Uh, and then Lance Leipold is is very similar to Jeff Trailer in that he's a guy that has won at every level and and has has had a ton of success. 
Uh, my, my reticence with Leipold is is maybe, you know, I, I don't know that we, maybe we want to go the younger coach route, right? Like it's, Leipold seems like he's kind of more into the back end of his career. And, you know, I mean, a good 10 years is plenty for A&M, right? Like all it takes is one incredible year. And all of a sudden, you're you're talking about the guy for forever. But uh, it just feels like of the three, Lance Leipold would probably be the one that I'm. And and again, this is very relative because I, I would still love to have Lance Leipold at A and M and would be comfortable with him. But of the three main options being talked about, I think he's the one I'm least interested in. I take such offense to the notion that Jeff Trailer would struggle to recruit a Texas A and M. I just, the the guy who was the big 12 recruiter of the year, the first year he was at Texas signed guys like Brandon Jones from East Texas. Those are stars that have played in the NFL. That would be at A&M if Jeff trailer was there. It's harder to recruit at UTSA. I don't understand the the notion that like, Oh, how can he recruit to A&M? It's like you and I can recruit to A&M. Like we may not be able to develop those guys, but with the NIL, the coaching staff he could put together, the connections he has within Texas high school football and beyond, the dude's going to recruit. Like recruiting's not going to be the issue of at AM. They just fired the guy who signed the number one recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes like a week and a half ago and gave him $76 million to go away. Recruiting is not the end all be all. AM, just like Texas over the last 13 years, it's never going to be about the ability to acquire talent. Like you're, you're always, even when you stink, AM's got the eighth best recruiting class in the nation right now, and they don't even have a coach, and they're 12 and 11 in their last 23 games. Like you're going to get players to College Station. Um, that's the part I don't, none of us know if Jeff Trailer can be successful at AM. Like that's that none of us can know. We don't know if Dan Lanning would be successful. I don't know if Kirby Smart, like we can't see the future, but the idea that, the reason you wouldn't want the guy is because you're worried if he can recruit at Texas A&M. Give me a break, man. Like that's <laughs> that's one of the easiest places in the world to recruit. You know how much harder it is to get guys to go to UTSA than it is to get guys to go to A&M? And, and I get that it's a different approach. Uh, and, and so there may be a little bit of a learning curve there. But again, like you talked about, he was at, at Texas, Texas he was in a Arkansas. Big he was in Arkansas. Yeah. Like, what are, we, what are we doing here? Because this is the part that kills me. It's like, well, he's not a he's never won at the, the at the major level. It's like, well, Jimbo won at the major level. So like that doesn't guarantee success either, right? Well, it's like, well, he's never been a coordinator at a big Mike Sherman was a coordinator in the NFL. That one didn't work. It's like, okay, you can pull out the Kevin Sumlin for the G5 deal, but you're running out of routes, right? Like there's no guarantee that a certain type of hire all of a sudden is successful. Just go get the best guy that fits. And that may not be Jeff Trader. I am not here stumping for Jeff Trader. If Jeff Trader was the coach at UTSA for the next 25 years, I'm happy as a clam, right? Like this is not me trying to push Jeff Trader uh, into college station. I just think it's silly that we can sit here and act like we know for sure Jeff Trader can't handle the Texas A&M job when he's literally done something at a place that was nine years old when he got there. They're 30 and eight in their last three years. One win away from playing in their third straight conference championship game. He is 17 and 0 at home against conference teams, 12 and 1 in November. Like all the things that you can do as a head coach. I just don't get it. I I don't get the hubris of the whole situation. Yeah. And and my issue is like, 
no matter who you hire, you're going to be dealing with unknowns. I, right, I get that, yeah, like, exactly. I get being like reticent about, you know, uh, maybe this guy, but like, keep, keep it, keep the same energy for every guy. Cause it's kind of like either way you're getting into an unknown, right? Like I, I just, how do we know Mike Elko would be successful? Exactly. How do right, we know like, anybody would be? That's, I guess that's my whole thing. Like it yeah. just, it just seems like it's just, we get very declarative about this stuff. Like we know, you know, and it, it's like when you predict heads on a coin flip, just because it landed heads doesn't mean, you know, like everybody ends up getting fired. So I, I don't know. It just seems like such a shallow argument. Well, and and like you go back to it and you think of all the times that you thought somebody had a definite home run hire and it just wasn't like Scott Frost and Nebraska. Uh, I mean, it's just there's so many examples of guys that look like home run hires and don't pan out. And I mean, my, my thing is, I think a lot of people, too, just expect AM boosters to try to make a splash higher, and maybe Jeff Trailer isn't that splash. Uh, but I... I the splash I don't, is winning. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Like, more than anything, it's winning. And uh, I think with the egos at play sometimes, that can be a little bit of a of a, of a problem and, and just hiring the best guy. And, and again, like you've said, we don't know that he is the best guy. Yeah. But it, it's... I don't get being this up in arms about somebody that seems like he's going to be a good hire, no matter where he ends up next. I am not an Aggie and this statement is going to get me in a lot of trouble. And I know that that's true already, but this idea of like, we're Texas A&M, we're not going to go hire the UTSA coach. Like, what does that even mean? You know, and it, like I've been alive since 1985. I watched a lot of A&M football. Like, let's not, this is, we're not, this is not, we're not talking about Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state here or something like that. Like A&M is trying to get to the, they're trying to become what their potential is. And, and, and like the, Jeff the, trailer the, has proven to be that guy at every single start. Like Gilmer yeah. was nothing before he got there. UTSA yeah. was nothing before they got here. Like if anything, he has proven to be the guy that takes kind of the diamond in the rough and turns it into a diamond. To me, that's exactly what A&M needs. And he's somebody who would never leave. Like if you go higher Dan Lanning or Mike Elko or something. And then the Alabama jobs open. Like that guy's going to go take that. If he can get it, Jeff trailer will die at Texas A&M. If it's going correctly. Like I, in my opinion, that's what Ross Bjork was meaning when he said they need to go find their RC Slocum, like somebody yeah. that gets the place that understands yeah. the job. I just don't get the pushback towards trailer. And again, I am not saying Jeff trailer is the best candidate. I'm saying do not just dis dismiss Jeff trailer because of where he's coaching. Well, another thing too is like the, the the programs that you just named in in Alabama or sorry in Texas and and Georgia and Clemson. You look at their most recent hires at each of those places. None of those were Power Five head coaches. That's true, right? Like Steve Sarkeesian was, I guess he did have previous head coaching experience, but he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Uh, you have uh, Dabo, who's a internal hire from Clemson. You have Kirby Smart, who's uh, hired away from Alabama as a defensive coordinator at at Ohio State. You have Ryan Day, who was an internal hire. I mean, so and like Dan Lanning had never been a head coach. Exactly. Like it's there are so many different ways to approach it, and to get up in arms about one specific hire is uh, it just seems kind of asinine to me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I think. Mike Elko, Jeff Trailer, Lance Leipold. Like, if you get one of those guys, you you want a coaching hire. Like, those are really good coaches. Um, 
I would say Mike Elko has proven the least out of those three, but I feel like he would be the most well-received of those three. Yeah. Um, and so I find that to be interesting, but I think Mike Elko would be a great coach. I think he would be, I think Mike Elko is probably the best coach for let's win in 2024, just because of the film familiarity with the roster and the staff and the makeup of any, like he would walk directly into that job with, you would hope to be some success and momentum. Um, what I wanted to ask you, um, I've kind of heard some rumblings. I'm sure like you have that A&M wants to make a splash that A&M is trying to figure out kind of like what is the biggest coach we could go hire. And we saw last year that USC went and took Oklahoma's coach and that LSU went and took Notre Dame's coach. And so I wanted to play a game of can A&M steal that coach where I'm going to name a coach and Jay Arnold is going to tell me if he thinks A&M could take him from the job right now. Let's start with this one, Lincoln Riley at USC. I guess also tell me if you even think a would want the person and if they did, if they could go and take them from him. Yeah. I think that there's kind of some baggage with the whole Lincoln Riley situation uh, that I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not a good coach because offensively, I think he's one of the greatest minds in the country. Uh, but I also think USC fans are already very unhappy and there are some difficulties with the USC job in particular where somebody may want to get it out of there, right? Like cost of living in, in Los Angeles versus College Station. And and remember that Lincoln Riley is a Texas guy. Obviously, West Texas is a different College Station. But uh, honestly, I think it's a possibility that they would go after him. I, I don't know. I just think that it seems like a weird fit for Lincoln Riley at USC. It just seems like he doesn't necessarily seem like the LA type. And uh, he is uh, not, I can speak to that. I, I yeah. know the Riley's a little bit, they are not, they are mule shoe through and through, but guys like they, like Garrett's so, having a better time in Clemson than Lincoln's having in Los Angeles. Let's just put it that way. So I'm thinking that may be part of the reason why uh, Lincoln would be a more gettable name than some of the others on this list. Dan Lanning at Oregon. No. Uh, and I think the reason is Dan Lanning is doing so well at Oregon. Uh, I just think that he's not going to leave in the middle of what is likely to be a playoff run because I think Oregon beats uh, Oregon State this weekend. And then, then I think they go into the Pac-12 championship, beat Washington, and, and earn a playoff berth. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. This is another one where the relationship may be a little bit uh a little bit rougher like it, it feels like one of those situations where it's got kind of stale uh with, with Dabo and Clemson my thing is Dabo is a coach that has been vocal about not wanting to use NIL or the portal uh and i think that those are two things that AM very much wants to use uh so i don't think they would go after him and and Really, I don't think Dabo wants to leave Clemson either, uh, even if he has been a little bit coy about denying members and, and whatnot. What about Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri? It's a very interesting one. Uh, I haven't heard I, his name as much as some of these other guys, but he's got the number one recruit in the nation si- committed to him right now. Um, and, and how he's recruited over this last couple of years, like the dude can recruit at Missouri. I'd imagine he'd be good at AM. 
and and the on-field stuff has has turned around as well. I yeah. mean, obviously Missouri's playing great football this year. Uh so that's that's something to consider as well. Uh I I mean, I think AM could get him if they wanted to. I just don't know if that's the direction that they want to go. Yeah, I just I've been confused that his name, and not even just with AM, just his name doesn't seem to be as out there as some of these other names. And maybe that's just his agent not not getting his name out there as much yeah. as some of these writers I, and stuff. But. I also think like there's some uh funny enough to say this character concerns right like Drinkwitz is kind of a kind of a little bit of a heel uh oh, yeah like, that's why i like him yeah he, we stand on business and all that kind of stuff like he doesn't mind he doesn't mind a little square and i think i i think that plays well at a&m if you're winning yeah 100 i mean it's fun to they love jackie sheriff sometimes. like come on yeah. like it's fun like be that guy right texas is coming back be, be the scott dark. hall yes exactly exactly uh the bad guy um Josh Heupel at Tennessee. So this is one where, obviously, I grew up an OU fan. Uh, Josh Heupel was at Oklahoma when I was coming up as a recruit. And he, like, him winning the national championship as a quarterback for OU was one of the first memories I have of watching college football. Uh, so I was kind of like starstruck getting recruited by Josh Heupel, right? Because he was my area recruiter. And... uh so I'm I'm kind of a, a Josh Heupel stand in that sense where I would love to see him at AM. Uh I think Tennessee, after they lost Lane Kiffin to USC, is gonna throw a lot of money behind a coach they like. And I think they like Josh Heupel a lot right now. Uh that win against Alabama has bought him a ton of goodwill uh in Knoxville. So I don't, has- I don't think AM can 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 pull him away from there. I do wonder, I, I just, I guess I'm always curious where the pecking order of these things are. And like, is Tennessee a better job than AM? I, I think it's a coin flip maybe, uh, but I could see a coach looking at what AM has resource wise. And then just like, I mean, you can throw a rock from college station and hit 50 of the top 150 players in, in the, in the nation or whatever. I just wonder, I think we've myself included has, has looked at more, reasonable hires like here are the guys that AM could go get whereas last coaching cycle should have taught us that these coaches nowadays are willing to make big swings and take big chances and i would bet almost everything i have that AM is in the back channels working some of those names that feel maybe on paper to be ridiculous but it's your job to go kick the tires like i'm glad that they called dan campbell you can't just assume he's going to turn you down you got to right. go. You got to go try it. So my last name here, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator, at Detroit. Do you think he would be an option? I think he's an option. Uh, obviously, you have the Aggie ties there that are big, uh, but I, I still go back to every coach that I've talked to that's been an NFL coach uh, does not want to leave the NFL. Right, like you, you get into the NFL, and, and there's just so much less to deal with with red tape and, and recruiting and and uh, administration duties and all the things that you have to do in the college job that make it uh, a twenty four seven three sixty five job. You get a little bit more of a break as an NFL coach, and I know that's weird to say because NFL is a higher level of football, but it's the truth. I mean, there's just less responsibilities uh, when you're an NFL coach, and the other part of that is too the players are more businesslike in their approach, right? Like they've been around the game for a while and it's more of a job than, than it is at the college level. Uh, with that being said, I think Aaron Glenn probably listens. Uh, I just don't know if, if a wants to go 
the coordinator from the NFL route again after Sherman. And then two names that are a little bit more realistic, but I haven't heard mentioned as much. What about a Jed Fish or a Jonathan Jonathan Smith? Jonathan Smith, uh, Oregon State head coach, uh, Jed Fish. I love both of those names. Uh, The thing with Jonathan Smith is he's at his alma mater, right? Uh, But on the flip side, that conference deal and and what Oregon State's future is going to look like has to be a little bit concerning. Uh, Obviously, there's if you you haven't don't know about it, Pac-12 is really Oregon State and Washington State now, and the Mountain West battles going. Yeah, so uh, there's there's some intrigue there, but uh, I I wonder if that would make Jonathan Smith more likely to listen. And then Jed Fish, who has done an incredible job, Uh, he's one of my candidates for Coach of the Year, along with uh, with Jerry Kill and and Barry Odom. Uh, I think that that what Jed Fish has done in Arizona is just incredibly impressive. And uh, he has this team really rolling uh, late in the season. Uh, I I would love to see AM make a call uh, to Tucson just to, just to gauge interest there and, and see because uh, Jed Fish is another guy who's been successful most places he's been. Oh, they've made the call. I can, I can, I can say that they've, they've made the call. I, from what I know, there's about 15 to 20 people that have been contacted by AM for just the initial kind of vetting uh, situation and, and and fish and Smith are definitely two two of those fifteen. Every name can't... that I mentioned, I think, are are people that I have heard A and M has at least reached out to the agent or a representative or somebody in that camp to kind of gauge a little bit of interest. Not that A and M is like trying to hire that person right away, just just to kind of see because that that's the due diligence you need to yeah. kick these tires and you don't want to hire somebody and then hear in six months that Dabo Sweeney was hoping you gave him a call and never did right like even if you don't hire Dabo Sweeney you need to check in on that see what's going on and so um, yeah I think all those guys have been been contacted directly or more likely uh, indirectly. Lastly, before we move on to LSU preview stuff, which assistants do you believe the new head coach, whoever that may be, needs to seriously consider keeping? Uh, so the first one I think everyone's going to be pretty much in agreement on is the interim head coach, uh, Elijah Robinson. You almost uh, have to do that. I, I think you have to. And uh, honestly, the, his replacement at the as a defensive line coach uh, in, in Tony Gerard Eddy is an Aggie. Uh, a guy that has been around the program for a while. Uh, you'd like to see him retain too. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, uh, what you would need to do to keep E-Rob on staff. Like if you need to give him the outright coordinator job and let go of Durkin, I mean, I I realize that that DJ Durkin has had a pretty good defense for most of this year, but uh, I, I think I would I think I would prefer to keep Elijah Robinson on staff if I had to pick between the two. Uh, offensively, I think we know the <laughs> coach that's most likely not being kept, uh, given the offensive line performance this year. I, I just don't see any way that Steve Adazio is retained. Uh, you know, and uh, maybe it's not fair to place all the blame on him. We don't know how much of it, it was a system and, and, and whatnot, but it, there's just been no improvement. Uh, and, and from what I've heard, the recruiting hasn't been particularly great either. Uh, so I think. Adazio is probably one that is that is moving on. Uh, I, I don't think Petrino will stay. No. Like I think it's I think it's more of a case where, like he he's been pretty open about like, 
you know, offense duties and, and coming in under Jimbo. I don't know. Like you bring in a new guy who's not as experienced. I just don't see Petrino staying. I don't think anybody on the offense will be around uh, next year. And I, I do think Robinson has to be a, a keeper. You got to keep one or two people when you come in. Um, not only is he a, a really good coach that everybody likes, he's a great recruiter. I mean, that defensive line is stacked, right? So like, that's not, that's not the problem. <laughs> like the defensive line is not the problem. He wants to be there. The only way that could happen is if it was a mutual thing and, and E-Rob would have to make it very clear that he was leaving on his own accord for an opportunity that he enjoyed. Right. Or that new, that new coach is going to start out. Oh, and one, uh, if Elijah Robinson, uh, isn't there. So I'd imagine that one's a pretty safe bet, but yeah, you, you got to just start over offensively. And, and most of the names we mentioned have really strong ties to people in the coaching, you know, like, like if Jeff trailer got the job, right. Will Stein from Oregon's going to be his OC. You know, like they, they, all of these guys have, I bet you Mike Elko has an OC in mind, you know? And so um, there's no way Petrino stays. There's, there's, there's absolutely no way Petrino stays. Um, Let's move on to the LSU game. Still a game going on. Uh, Well, I guess first off, like this thing may go down by the next time we do a podcast. So who is your choice? Like if, if Jay Arnold, was the chancellor of Texas A&M or whoever gets to really make that decision. I guess it's probably a, a court decision, but uh, and not court like courts, but like a group of people um, who, who would you pick as the next A&M coach? If you were allowed to select through the most obvious, you know, you, you can't pick Nick Saban. We'll just say I that. can't pick myself either. Right. Yeah. Or Jim Harbaugh uh. or something <laughs> like that. Like Dan Campbell's out, you know, that kind of stuff. I would go with Jeff trailer at, the, at this stage. I think, uh, I think Jeff Trailer is my one A, and, and Mike Elko is my one B. Uh, but I would go with Trailer, and uh, I mean what you said, like bring Will Stein in as an offensive coordinator, and and keeping Elijah Robinson on staff. And I, I think Trailer is a guy that would, he's amicable enough that he would be able to pull that off. Uh, obviously with Elko, I think you keep Erob on staff too because those two have worked together. Yeah. Uh, but. You again. This is this isn't a rebuild. This is a you can win now in twenty twenty four team uh, with with a couple pieces here and there, uh, and I think Jeff Trailer would be able to win right away with this roster, and and he would be my pick. All right, let's move on to the LSU game in third down at LSU on Saturday, eleven a.m. on ESPN. The Tigers are a minus 10 and a half point favorite. That was my impression. I, I'm not very good at impressions. Uh, that, was, that was trying to get a little Cajun there. The, the Tigers. Tigers. Uh, yeah, well, uh, he's like playing football in your backyard. He's my cultural impersonation right there. If my little brother played in uh, at Southeastern Louisiana, and I just used to love like listening to the stands, like when they would scream at things and stuff, like I'd start laughing and, you know, just because that it's hard to take that seriously. Um how in the world does AM stop Jaden Daniels? Uh you you don't stop him is the answer. Uh, you just hope to contain him. You just hope to contain him. And uh <laughs> I think I texted you about this. The last time that that AM beat LSU at home uh and then went on the road to play them and, and the quarterback for LSU was a Heisman candidate, uh did not go well for the not, Aggies. Not too well. That was Joe Burrow in 2019, senior night. Joe Burrow running out with the Cajun spelling of his last name. I was there in person, and I looked at uh, the folks sitting next to me. I was like, yeah, this is not going to go well. For Joe over. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was Joe over big time. Uh, 
with that being said, I do think that there is some things that AM can do uh, to, to at least limit the damage a little bit. Uh, the problem is that receiving core at LSU is also extremely talented, and that has been the biggest hole in AM this year. Uh, they're not going to stop Malik Neighbors. Like, he's going to have a couple touchdowns. I'm, I'm predicting that now. Uh, but the good news is defensively, LSU, not very good. Like the defense has been uh, susceptible to big plays. So really what you got to do is you know, force a turnover or two. Uh, and I think with AM's defensive line, they can get pressure to Daniels. And, and that's going to be the key to this game is he's going to get some big plays. He's going to get a lot of big plays probably. But if you can get him to turn the ball over one or two times and the offense can can just be good enough, uh, I think AM has a real shot in this one. Yeah, I think the first key is you have to make him beat you with his arm, and he's plenty capable of doing that. But you have to leave the game on Saturday going, I mean, he just he threw for 450 yards. For, there's nothing we could do. He just he just he's he's good, right? But you cannot let him become dual threat, Jane Daniels. Like as soon as he can start running, because he also has a thousand yards rushing and ten touchdowns. As soon as he can do both, if you can't stop both, it's over. Like there, you got you got no chance of stopping this offense. Um, he's got 3,577 yards, 36 touchdowns, four interceptions <laughs> on the year. Just incredibly efficient. Uh, as I mentioned, yeah, when I said when I said turnovers, I was leaning more towards fumbles. Yeah, on, you on got you got a strip sack type stuff. Like you got to you got to get lucky, but you have to make this offense one dimensional. If they can run the football as well, you, you just you with that wide receiver talent, you have no shot unless you can dedicate six seven guys to coverage. You have no shot. If you need to start putting seven, eight guys in the box, it is over, as we mentioned. But you're right. The defense is allowing 27 and a half points a game. They gave up 45 to Florida State, 49 to Ole Miss, 42 to Bama, 35 in a win against Florida. And that Florida team, you know, isn't this high flying offensive um, team. And so take the over, I'd imagine. I, I didn't look at to see what the over is. It'll move throughout the week. Uh, I'd be leaning towards the over. Um, but this comes down to, in my opinion, outscoring them. Because as you mentioned, they're going to get theirs. They're going to score some points. You're going to need 40 to win this game offensively. Yeah, I, I see it playing out pretty pretty similar to the uh, to the Ole Miss game, uh, to the AM Ole Miss game, where uh, it's going to be a very high-scoring matchup just because AM is going to struggle uh, with the passing attack of, of, of LSU and, and what those receivers can do. Uh, the over, for reference, is 66 and a half. Uh, I would I would still take that because yeah. I think it could end up being like a, a 45-35 type game. I bet uh, you that it closes around 70. I would not be surprised because I think people are going to keep coming in on that over. Uh, and I, I realize AM's defense is very good, but uh, this is a historic LSU offense, right? Like this is, they're putting up numbers similar to what they did in 2019. Uh, they just haven't had as good of a defense to back them up. And uh, that's why they've had issues. They have not had issues scoring whatsoever. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see because I, I do think that AM can be competitive in this, uh, but it's 10 and a half point spread for a reason. One really good thing for AM. It's not night game in Death Valley. It is an 11 a.m. kick, which means the the, the crowd's going to be stumbling in a little bit late uh, compared to what they normally have. Uh, and I've been there for for LSU games at, at night, and it is the most intimidating venue in the country in a night game. Uh, but day games tend to be a little more manageable. And, and I haven't been to Death Valley for an 11 a.m. kick, uh, but I just know how road games tend to go. 
when it's a uh, when it's a morning kick and and I think that's going to be a bigger help to A and M than than people realize. Yeah, the over under isn't under seventy because people are worried about the A and M defense. There, it's under seventy because they're worried if A and M can keep up their part of the bargain and, and score enough points. But Daniels has been good as a quarterback. He, he's made some plays. That wide receiver core is really good for a lot of guys. This is going to be their final game. I'd imagine some of them opt out for a bowl if they're if they're going to the NFL draft or even into the portal or whatever. And so uh, I, I bet the, I think the offense is going to play well. I just don't think that they can. They're going to, like you said, I, I wrote down here, how does AM win this game? Uh, I think your point was turnovers, um, just trying to figure out how to way to steal possessions. It feels like it's going to be one of the LSU has to play their B game for, for AM to have a chance. If LSU is running on all cil- cylinders offensively, it's going to be hard to keep up. Yeah. Uh, I do like, though, that, that Jalen Henderson has been kind of successful uh, at quarterback so far for AM. Uh, he provides a little bit of an extra, you know, uh, added dimension that maybe AM didn't have uh, with with Max Johnson and with Connor Wyman, who are decent runners, but uh, I feel like Johnson or uh, Henderson really excels uh, running, running and scrambling and, and going off script. Uh, so maybe that's something that LSU doesn't have a lot on on film, and, and AM can take advantage of. Yeah, he's been been a gamer when he's been allowed to go out there and, and just let it sling. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, my last question, like before we get predictions. What is a what would a win mean, if anything? Like, is there? I mean, I, I don't know. You never really been in one of these kind of lame duck situations where you're under an interim head coach, just kind of trying to figure it out. Like, what what does a win mean in those in those moments? Uh, I mean, I think it'll be great for recruiting momentum, right? Like, you know that uh, AM and LSU have a lot of recruiting battles, right? Like. Yeah. These two teams are competing for a lot of the same guys. If AM can go in and, and win and not have their head coach yet, uh, I think that says a lot about uh about what this program can do. Uh the flip side of it is uh it also gets you to a better bowl game, right? Like if you're winning this game and and you finish the season at eight and four, uh you're still not gonna go to like the pick of the litter. Uh, but you close out with some momentum and and it's Another win, I think, for whoever the coach is coming in, because you can point to this game and say, look, we we know what we can do. We already have pieces here that can compete with some of the best teams in the country. Uh, let's go out there and 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 really put a season together next year. Do you worry that this team doesn't show up and play as well as they could because they're thinking about the head coach thing and the portal and what's going to happen next? Or do you think this is kind of a galvanizing situation where you're going to get the best of A&M, at least effort-wise? I mean, we don't know how the game's going to go, but just from an effort situation, because it's kind of us against the whole world. Nobody thinks we're going to do this. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving, all that stuff. It really feels like Elijah Robinson, as a interim head coach, is a guy that these players w- would galvanize for, right? Like, it, it seems like he's the type of coach that they're going to give a great effort for. Yeah. Uh, whether they're thinking about the portal or not. Because uh, if there's one guy on the staff that that I've talked to guys about that they uh, enjoyed playing for, it, it's Erop. Uh, so my thought is, you know, there's some stuff in the week that can be a distraction and, and that can be uh, harmful, but I, I think these guys are going to give effort. Like there may be some mental distractions. You know, they may not be 100% there, uh, but I, I am very, very confident that, that the effort is going to be there. I'll take LSU 38, Texas A&M 31. 
What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go LSU 45, A&M 35. All righty. And we will move now to fourth down to the Ask J segment of the show. Remember, throughout the week, if you tweet at uh, the Aggie Warpod Twitter account or at Jay Arnold's Twitter account, uh, we will kind of log some of these questions and get them in there for you. Uh, we got three or four really good ones, I think, this week for, for Ask J. And we'll start uh, one from uh, Nick UPT. Um, uh, I think that's the thing. That's how they're trying to. And I see you, maybe. Nick, yeah, well, I was thinking maybe Nick and Poop or something. I don't, I don't know what they were going for there with the play, <laughs> with the play on letters. Um, what well, is? Something... I think it's a, I think it's a PT. I think it's a doctor. Yes, or... yeah, like Nick so, U PT. You know, like yeah. a, like a Nick U, like a child. Anyway, uh, what is something you would never order at a barbecue restaurant? Uh, well, I would try just about anything once. Uh, I mean, I've gone to a Florida. It's not really a barbecue joint, but they serve smoked fish, and and, and that was pretty good. Uh, man, if I had to pick like one thing that I wouldn't order, I tell you what, I, I would not eat uh, eyeballs. I would not eat smoked eyeballs because uh, I've tried that once, and it was a mistake, and I will not do that again. I'm not a big sides guy at barbecue places. I know that can be a little bit blasphemous, and barbecue places have gotten a lot better. The sides have become designer, so you almost have to get the sides. But back when barbecue was at its purest form, uh, I just never understood wasting like room with beans or mac and cheese. I can get those anywhere else. Like I'm there for the for the barbecue. Uh, but I've loosened that stance a little bit. I don't like things. We'll talk about this in a little bit. I don't like anything pickled. You know, like I don't I don't need any of that kind of stuff with my barbecue. Um, so that's kind of what I stay away from. Uh, the next part is of that is, uh, what was your favorite side, favorite dessert and favorite football related Thanksgiving memory? This is from Q10 fanatic. So favorite side can go a few different directions. Cause it's like, what's the best side or what's the most consistent side? Like you can't go wrong with mashed potatoes. Like mashed potatoes are, are great. You can get them any time of year. Yes. But like, you know what you're getting. Uh, but I would say dressing is probably like, like a good, uh, Cornbread dressing is delightful. Uh, that's probably my top side. Uh, favorite dessert, uh, dude, like a chocolate pecan pie. I think like just that extra step with the, with the chocolate in there. Uh, it's probably my favorite like Thanksgiving dessert. And then favorite Thanksgiving memory. And I'm so glad that this is coming back. Uh, I grew up in OU fan, like I mentioned earlier, but every Thanksgiving always watching Texas and Texas A&M play football. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be back on Thanksgiving Day, but I'm glad we're getting the game back because it's one of my favorite memories, even though I wasn't an A&M or a Texas fan at the time. It was just always such a part of of Thanksgiving was it's a night game. You, you take your – you've already had lunch, but you get your leftover sandwich plate or whatever, uh, and you sit in front of the TV and you watch Texas and A&M play football, and that was just perfect. My favorite side is sweet potato casserole. Love this stuff. It's very good. Um, the bad sweet potato casserole can exist, uh, but really good sweet potato casserole is awesome. Uh, favorite dessert. Uh, my mom makes a bourbon pecan pie. That's pretty good. Sometimes she makes a bourbon chocolate pecan pie that uh, I'll need to get you to try one day because it is it's pretty excellent. It just depends on depends on her effort level. You know, yeah. like we it's like a coach talking about his players. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, she brings her a game. Sometimes she's a little distracted. She's become a grandma. 
over the last year. And so like, I don't know what her cooking game is going to be opposed to just her hanging out doing faces to the baby game. Um, so we'll see how she, she handles that adversity and that balance, those distractions uh, moving into Thanksgiving, see what her pie game is like this year. My favorite football related Thanksgiving memory for those who don't know, uh, my grandfather was the rehab specialist team doctor for the university of Texas um, from Daryl Royal to Mac Brown. He retired in about whenever Steve Patterson became the AD because he just got sick of it and he went to his ranch and just started ranching at that point. Uh, but we would do an early Thanksgiving, like 11, 12 o'clock. We would do Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house in Georgetown. And then we would get into his truck and we would drive to UT or to A&M or like wherever to go to the A&M UT game. And I got to just kind of hang. And that's kind of where the love of this started, where I became like somebody who wanted to be in sports media uh, was just hanging out with that and watching that game. And I, I honestly, I'm not saying this because I'm on an Aggie podcast. I love the years it was in College Station because it's just such a unique viewing experience. And most of my viewing experiences of college athletics growing up was from the Texas side, Texas baseball, Texas basketball, Texas football, culturally and just intensity wise. There is just something different about Kyle Field uh, in, in College Station on those big games. Um, so like you, I'm glad those are coming back. Those are those are part of my favorite uh, memories, obviously, like the the touch football games that become tackle football games uh, with your friends back in the day, or we would meet at the high school, right? Like after everybody, turkey had, bowl, <laughs> yeah, everybody had done Thanksgiving, and there'd be like three fist fights, and it'd be be a great time. We all we all enjoyed it. So I'm um, glad to have Texas Texas A and M back. Uh, also glad to be past the age where you just get into fist fights for fun. That was that's all. I guess you kind of do. Uh, I mean, enjoyment as well. <laughs> it's more the grappling, more the right. grappling arts. Yeah. Uh, but a good fist fight, you know, every once in a while with some headgear isn't too bad. At JAC on the Brazos asked, what's wrong with pickles? So here's the thing with pickles, and this extends to a lot of different food groups. Uh, it's just a really, really strong flavor. Yeah. So yeah. people, it's, people are either going to love it or they're going to hate it. I fall on the hate spectrum, which is weird. Cause like you said, you don't like anything pickled. I actually like like pickled onions or pickled jalapenos, uh, but like pickles themselves, just I I can't do it. I think it's too strong. Uh, and the worst part is like, and and I think I've talked about this. There's a stand up comedian Chris Porter that has a bit about uh, pickles at delis, right? Like, if you put parsley on a sandwich, you can take parsley off the sandwich as a garnish, and, and you don't taste parsley. But if you put pickle on a sandwich and the juice gets all up in the bread, like pickles are too aggressive for a garnish it's 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 just uh i think it's been forced on us a little bit too much uh so it's not you know like if you enjoy pickles go ahead that's fine uh but just like don't try to force us on the on on the non-pickle people you know what i mean yeah no i get it i like pickles by themselves like i like a pickle spear i like the you know at a fair you can get like the big dill pickle or whatever um I like on a you know club sandwich where afterwards you can you can eat the pickle. But like you, I don't want it on my like at a chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A. I asked for no pickles, right? Because like I'm just tasting pickles and I, I don't like pickles enough um to taste them in that way. So similar there uh with that one. And then last question from college FB ETC. In my opinion, the only thing that changed about Texas AM football when they moved to the SEC was the fan expectations. What systematic changes need to happen for AM to go from just preseason hype to actual relevance? Right. So the, the first thing, and we kind of talked about this before the show went on, the first thing is that not just the expectations changed. Uh, the investment 
in, in the football program also changed pretty heavily. The opportunities uh, changed, yes. which made the expectations naturally change. And I mean, you can trace it back to, uh, you know, 2012, right. With, with Johnny Manziel and everything that happened there that probably galvanized, uh, the investment even more, uh, as far as opportunities went, uh, and that could have played a big role in why the expectations have changed too. Uh, but I think it's been more than just expectations. I think it's uh, increased investment. Uh, I think the business side of college football in general has become bigger. And and that's something that A&M wants to uh, take advantage of is, is the fact that it's not just A&M, but all around the country, more money is becoming involved. And AM just so happens to have a lot of that money and, and is willing uh, to put it on the line to try to see success in the program. Uh, as far as what needs to happen uh, for, for AM to take that next step, uh, it's just finding the right guy, really. I mean, you have to find somebody that can, can manage every aspect of this program. Uh, and part of it's luck, too. Like injuries, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes you just don't have an offense and a defense synced up at the right time where uh, both units are, are playing good ball. And and that can lead to some things as well. Uh, I, that's what I think people don't understand is how much of an oddity it is to be an Alabama or an Ohio State or now a Georgia where if you're doing this year after year after year, you're an anomaly. Like that is not a normal thing, uh, and, it, and it happens because they've had some stability with the guy in charge, uh, and and then just having a winning culture. But as far as how does A and M get there, part of it it's just going to be like finding the right guy and and having some luck on your side, and all of a sudden you can establish something, right? Because like we thought Clemson was going to be a franchise. Obviously, they've still a very good program, but they've fallen off since those those national championship years. Uh, it, it's just. You know, it's kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. I don't know if AM is ever going to do it, right? Because there are so many factors that go into it. Uh, but it's it's having the right guy in the building, uh, getting recruits lined up, uh, having support from the fans, which is something thankfully at AM you'll always have, uh, and then just executing and putting all of that together and avoiding injuries is just not a very common thing. You've spoken to AM being a cult. And it's very insular. And I feel like their last few hires have been from the outside that just haven't understood what Aggie football means to Aggies and to College Station and to that area and to the region and to the state of Texas. I think one of the things that they need to do is hire somebody who gets that, who can who can be within three or four years. People just assume they went to A&M because they're just such an Aggie. You know what I mean? Like they need to hire one of theirs. And I think that's what that RC Slocum. I don't think every school needs that but i think a&m is one of those places where you just have to understand i think notre dame is a place like that right where you just michigan with harbaugh yeah you just have to understand what it is and embrace that and lean into it and if everybody else doesn't get it who gives a shit right just have somebody who gets what it is to be an aggie and to matter uh with college football the other thing is some alignment behind the scenes ross bjork said that he's on his fourth president and he's been there for four and a half years like they got to figure out some stability about out, out of that I think to this question with the whole like uh, the the only thing that changed was the expectations. The expectations had to change because A&M became in position to be one of the 10 teams in the country that can win a national championship. 
I am not somebody who believes that this 12-team playoff is going to allow other teams to win national championships. It's going to allow them to get closer to a national championship. But just like we saw with Georgia and TCU last year, rubber meets road, athletes win, blue chip ratio matters, stars matter, all that kind of stuff. Like, you're not – Texas State gets into the 12-team playoff. It's not March Madness. They're not making a run. They're playing against 320-pound dancing bears on the other side that are about to be billionaires when they go to the NFL. It's just – it's not the same sport. You are not – anybody who thinks the college football expanding is going to create basketball or baseball-like parity – is fooling themselves. We're going to see the same teams win, just like we always see the same teams win. But AM can be one of those teams because what you need is talent and resources and a fan base that supports you. And AM can check all three of those things. You mentioned Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. Those are the th- top three teams in blue chip ratio on the 24-7 team talent composite. Number four, you're fighting Texas Aggies, right? Like they have everything that you need to go win. And that is why those expectations changed. In 2011, before they joined the joined the SEC, Texas A&M's revenue was around $87 million, which was roughly 55, 57% of what Texas's was. By 2017, they were within $2 million of each other, right? Like they caught up and they have money in a way that they've never had. And no matter how much we want this sport to be about the students and the purity of it, it's about money. It's always been about money. And AM no longer just has the money to compete within the state. They now have the money to compete nationally. And when that happens and you start signing top five recruiting classes, the expectations go up. In the five years before they went to the SEC, AM's recruit average recruiting class was 21.8. The five years after they got to the SEC, it was 11.2. And in the last five years, it's been 6.8. That's why the expectations change, because the players have changed and the talent level has changed. And AM, if they can get the right guy, and this is why I went off earlier about how recruiting doesn't matter. There's been three or four coaches that have attributed to that growth and success of recruiting. You're going to recruit well. They need to find somebody who can polish those diamonds and make them into a national elite team because that's what Saban does. That's what smart does. That's what those guys do is they lay a foundation and then those five-star, four-star athletes start blossoming year in and year out. I mean, just look at the amount of uh, Georgia talent in the NFL now, uh, particularly on the Eagles defense, right? Like there's, there's a reason why the, the, the Bulldogs have, have been so successful is because they're constantly developing talent. Uh, Alabama constantly putting players in the league. Ohio State constantly putting players in the league. Uh, it's not just the recruiting side, like you said. It's it's the development side, and and A and M has to fi- ha- find somebody that can do both. Uh, and once you do that, I mean, sky's the limit. No doubt. All right, Jay. Another good week on the Aggie Podcast, Aggie War Podcast. Please rate, subscribe, uh, give us a five star review. Please share with friends. All that kind of stuff to help to grow the pod. It's getting bigger and bigger every single week. I'd imagine we do an emergency pod pretty soon. Um, If nothing happens kind of before Monday, Tuesday of next week, we will be here regularly scheduled to to review the LSU game, talk about whatever bowl game they're going to, talk more about the coaching stuff search. I am of the opinion that this happens this weekend probably. You know, like I I guess I just – yeah, I just don't see why you fire a coach two weeks before the season ends unless you want to hire a coach the day after it's over. That yeah. that's my 
That's my opinion on it. I could be wrong. They could end up waiting until somebody that's in the national championship. I have no idea. But I think it's going to be one of the names we've talked about on Sunday or Monday of next week. And if that happens before our, our normally scheduled podcast, we will jump on and do an emergency one like we did when Fisher was let go. Uh, especially with uh, with the new recruiting period and everything. It feels like it's sped everything up, right? I'm sure it's making it fun for you to try to keep track of everything. The state of Texas is going to be crazy, folks. Uh, just just for prosperity, just so when I'm at the end of this, I can pull back and go like, look how right I was. Uh, I, I do think that we could be in for a historic coaching carousel in the state. I went back and I can't find a year where there was more than three changes at the FBS. And that was in 2021. Uh, this year, I think it's going to be like seven or eight. Like A&M's already happened. I think UTEP's going to happen. Rice will if they don't win their final week. Who knows what the hell's going on at Baylor? That thing is insane. Um, and then Houston. I mean, I feel like Dana Holgerson's like always jumping back and forth between hot seat and not hot seat. So that could be five right there. And that's before we get into it. If Jeff Trailer gets in a, another job. So that would be sick. Like we could get... We could get to where over half of the 13 FBS teams have a new head coach in place by the time the next season starts, which will make magazine season ridiculous. So thank good you content, for though. good content, good content, a lot of clicks, maybe some subscriptions. Speaking of now is a great time to go subscribe to Dave Campbell's Texas football, uh, not just because of the coaching carousel stuff. I do think we do a pretty decent job of covering that stuff, but mostly because of the high school coverage. Our guys absolutely kill that. Matt Stepp, Greg Tepper, Ashley Pickle, and Mallory Hartley on the Texan Live side. You can watch high school playoff games from your couch uh, over the holiday weekend. Um, so it, it's a, it's only $50, $50 a year. You get all of our magazines, all of our digital content, all of Texan Live. Like it's the greatest deal in sports media. Sooner or later, we're going to hire somebody smart enough to charge more than that. So get in on the ground floor there um, and get that before it gets too expensive. For Mike Craven, for Jay Arnold, for the Aggie War Pod, Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football, we will talk to you next week or maybe sooner, depending on what goes on. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bye, you later.